I want to talk to you this morning about being secure in an insecure world. You think that might be appropriate today? What does it mean to have a security that goes all the way and surrounds you, his presence before you, beside you, behind you, his presence and power inside your life? You know, Israel in Psalm 125, that's where we're going to be, was struggling in the midst of pressure. They were having foreign domination at times. There was almost no time this psalm was not applicable to them because of the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Egyptians. There was always some point of attack. Israel, Jerusalem, is, has been a city that's always been under the influence of attack. And the scepter of wickedness almost always seemed to rule in some way. But the text tells us about the scepter of righteousness. It talks to us about the security that we can have in Yahweh, in Jehovah, in God, and in, through Jesus Christ our Savior. So there's a peace that could come and settle your heart today. Many of you are in a position, just like I am, we're, we're wondering what's happening around us. D don't worry about what's happening on the outside. Worry about, in a sense, what's taking place on the inside because you can have a settled peace in your heart through the Lord Jesus Christ. In the midst of the storm, you can worship in the midst of pressure. That's what Israel was doing. Psalms 120 through 134 are psalms of ascent. They are psalms where the worshipers, as they would go to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem in here called Mount Zion is a multi-dimensional term, which means the holy city, the place where God resides, the descendant of the Lord, Zion. So we have here a picture of Jerusalem. These worshipers would, would travel up. You were always going up when you go into Jerusalem. It sits on a hill. So imagine as you climb this life, as you and I face difficulties in the midst of pressure, we can worship not on the other side of pressure, we can worship in the midst of pressure because a worship is not about just a revelation, it's about a relationship. So think about this. Israel, in the midst of pressure, in the midst of the squeeze, is going up singing this song because the Psalms are but songs. They sing these on their way to Jerusalem. So think about this. Let's look at this text. It says this in Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and those who are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them with the workers of iniquity, but peace be upon Israel. Security. The main emphasis of this psalm, as you read it, is you can be secure as a believing soul in an insecure world. See, when you go to the airport, you know, you have to deal with baggage because you bring your baggage and the first thing they check is make sure you don't have more than 50 pounds in your bag. So we've all been there when someone at the counter has emptied their bag right in front of us to get down to 50 pounds. 
I've seen boots, nice boots thrown away. I've seen all kinds of things thrown away. The second thing you do when you get to the airport is you have to go through a checkpoint and they give you the dimensions of the carry-on bag and the bag that you can take. But most people don't pay attention to the things that you can't bring through airport security. There, there, there's a certain amount of shampoo and ounce that you have to be below in order to get through security. So they, they yell at you. They tell you, you're there, you're listening. Throw away this, get rid of this, you can't have this. And you get there in the line and people are throwing away good stuff. Good stuff. Now here's the interesting thing. The very things that you throw away, as soon as you get through security, you can buy it on the other side. <laughs> now listen. There are a lot of us that bring our kind of love to the security gate, to the table. We bring a love that's not from God, it's our kind of love. And we check that in and we think that that love is going to get us through this life and through the midst of pressure. So what we do is we take that love and we, we maybe throw it away for a minute at the security point, And then on the other side of the table, we buy that love back. And we say, I'm going to love people. See, see, and then also we bring our righteousness to the table. We go to, through security and we say, uh, okay, I'll check in my righteousness. I know it's filthy rags, but on the other side, we go and buy our same righteousness that is filthy on the other side. It's not your righteousness that gets you into heaven. It's his righteousness that gets you into heaven. And then we try to buy peace. We, we, we bring our peace, whatever peace looks like to us. And when someone says, throw it away, get rid of it, we do. But on the other side of that security, we go back and we buy the same kind of peace. Peace, listen to me, in this text is a gift. It's a gift from God. So, so the very things that we bring to the table and to church today are the very things that we throw away, but it's the very things that we pick up as soon as we walk out of this place. Now listen, you can exchange all of that for him. He gives you himself. He is love. He is joy. He is patience. He, he is kindness. He is gentleness. He's all these things. Israel needed peace in the midst of pressure. Look at the text. Those who trust... In the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord. See, this is a key. You need no store of learning. You need no schooling to do this. You just need a faith that attaches itself to a person. The word trust here actually means to attach yourself to someone. So think about this. When you and I exercise our faith and trust into God, it's as if we attach ourselves to him. We fully let go of all the stuff that we used to have that we thought was going to bring us peace and joy and happiness. We let go of all that and we attach ourselves to him. We let go. It actually means to live in a carefree way. See, it doesn't mean to cling to someone as if you're fearful and afraid. It actually means to let go. That's what the word trust means. It means to let go. It means to let God have his way in your life. So the idea is you don't cling and hold on to him. So think about this. When you and I put our trust and our faith in him, when Israel uh, lives in obedience to the covenant people that they already are. You see, they had the title deed in the land. They were God's people. But the way you live in, uh, in the blessing of the covenant and the obediences that you have is you walk in obedience to the blessing that is already yours. So Israel oftentimes didn't do that, but they were still the, had the title deed. So when you and I put our faith and trust into Jesus, we let go and we let God do 
what only God can do. And here's our tendency. It's me too. I I do it all the time. We try to control the very things that we let go of because we're insecure people and we need people to help us in our insecurity. So God says, listen to me. Let me be your security. Find your rest for your soul in me. Trust, look at this, in the Lord. Let me give you an example. Uh, We lived in Albuquerque for five years. I was at a great church out there. And they have the world's longest tram. It goes from the bottom of the Sandia Mountains all the way to the top. And it's connected by a cable. And Albuquerque, if you've ever been there, the Candelarias would know this. You live with wind all the time. It's not unusual for it to be 20, 25 miles an hour. Well, my mom and dad came to visit our family and wanted to take them on the tram because I knew they'd pay. And so we paid the $75 for all of us to get on the tram. And I'm trusting to a certain point until I see an airplane that is positioned in the side of a mountain that it crashed years and years ago. So I'm, I'm, we're in this tram, and if you've ever been in a tram, you've got people that you can walk around, and the, and the tram car kind of moves. Well, my mother, she um, is a very outgoing, carefree uh, Wonderful person that lives by faith and trust. Well, all of a sudden the wind picks up and there's a pole in the middle of this tram. I kid you not. People begin, all people in that tram, including myself, my son, my wife, we all grabbed onto this pole because it began to to move us to a position where we felt insecure. And so my mother's sitting there praising the Lord, singing all the hymns and his mercy is more. And I'm like, if you died today, are you 100% sure? But do you know what? Those of us who were believers in that tram, myself, we weren't exercising a carefree faith. My mom was exercising this kind of trust, a trust where you let go and you let God have his way in your life. What is it that you need to let go of today? What is it that you need to release to the one whose mercy is more and who can take you from a position of fear and move you into a position of faith? Those who, look, trust in the Lord are like, look at the text, like Mount Zion. Mount Zion was immovable. It was a mountain, and it was surrounded by other mountains, but Mount Zion was the place where the Lord descends. It was his mountain. So there's an immovable permanency here with Mount Zion. You can't shake Mount Zion. So what happens if God can find himself a person who will attach themselves to him, then he makes them as sturdy and as permanent and as immovable as Mount Zion. Is that not good news for you this morning? Sure it is. Think about the grace of God and the mercy of God. Think about how God can, he he states you're a mountain and then he makes you a mountain by his grace and his mercy. Nothing that you deserve, nothing that I deserve, it's all by his grace. The text says, if God can find a person who puts their trust in him, then he makes them a mountain, he states they're a mountain and they are immovable. They cannot be shaken. So they are like Mount Zion, look at the text, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. There's an eternal city. Uh, Eternity sits, Mount Zion. When you think about 
the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And John the Revelator talks about this. You see, uh, the Hebrews and the Jews, they felt like that they looked at that city, Mount Zion, and the multidimensional term representing Jerusalem, and they thought of a physical, earthly, immovable permanency. But God says, I'm a builder of a bigger city, and I will make you an immovable mountain when you attach yourself to me and the character of God is reflected in your life and you in the midst of your pressure in the midst of your storm can sing a song about the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God he makes you a mountain stability firmness whose feet will not slip I went to Thompson Intermediate and in seventh grade I forgot my cleats to football practice. And our coach, Coach Hill, he's mean. <laughs> that dude had a board. This is back where you could lay the imprint and go home and show your mama what the coach did to you. <laughs> and and uh, I forgot my cleats and we were doing crab crawls. Crab crawls is where you, you get down on the five-yard line and you go five yards at a time. You do the whole football field. And you crab crawl, and then when the whistle blows, you hit down on your stomach, and you just go like this. And so I did that, but I forgot my cleats, so I had Chuck Taylor tennis shoes on in my locker. I couldn't get a grip. They're smooth. on They slip. So I'm slipping and sliding. I didn't have the stability, and I didn't have the firmness that the cleats provide. So when you think about this picture... When it says here in verse 1, which cannot be moved, it's as if God puts a pair of shoes on us and a pair of cleats on us. And in the middle of terrorism, in the middle of a world that's gone mad, in the middle of a people who we don't know what's going to happen for the next moment, we can be firm and we can be stable and we can be fixed just as that mountain is fixed. By his grace. Only through Christ. Look at the text. As the mountains surround I'm doing this for our pastor since he's not here. <clears throat> he doesn't sweat as much as I do, but I still got a towel. Here's what he says. As the mountains, look at verse 2. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. So what you would have in these mountains, see the most significant mountain in the life of Israel prior to Mount Zion was Mount Sinai. It was the giving of the revelation of the word. You remember about the law that was handed down. So you could say that was the mount of revelation where Mount Zion is the mountain of relationship. You see, the law was given down, told Israel how to, uh, what to do and how to worship, but it was on Zion that they actually did it. Their belief was turned into behavior. So the idea is that they're worshiping, they're behaving because they have believed over here. And so it says, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. So you've got mountains, you've got Mount Zion, you've got Jerusalem sitting on a hill, and then you have mountains all around. Uh, all kinds of, the Mount of Reproach, uh, one of the mountains is Mount Scopus. It sits above, it's called the Mountain of Viewing. So if you picture this, while you are down here on Zion, worshiping and believing and trusting and fleshing out your faith, God is scoping and he is viewing from above. He sees everything about your life. You see the mountain that he's talking about that he can make you as stable and firm, he put that mountain in place before he put you in your place. 
So God knows everything about you. God knows what you're going through. God knows the difficulty, the challenges, the life that you live right now. Nothing will catch him by surprise. He sees the attack. He sees the attacker. And so he sees everything in our life. So as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. Notice the text. It says he himself surrounds us. He himself. He surrounds his people. So he makes me a mountain. He states I'm a mountain. Then he surrounds me with more stability in my life. It's like being in Albuquerque for the balloon fiesta. When you go down to the field, you have all these hot air balloons. They surround the field. But all of a sudden, they begin to lift. And you can go to Albuquerque, and I live there. I watch it every year, the balloon fiesta in October. And the whole air and the whole city is filled with balloons that surround the city. If you think about that, that's a picture of the Lord surrounding us with his presence. His power, his purpose, his grace, his mercy is more. It doesn't matter what your sin is. It matters that he paid for your sin through Jesus Christ. He can surround you. You don't have to live in guilt and shame and discomfort anymore because of your sin. He surrounds you with his grace and his mercy. And I believe this morning God wants to say that to somebody so you'll receive not the revelation, but the relationship of that. You can know for sure that God surrounds you in the midst of depression, anxiety, and fear. Verse three. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. There's a rod test here. That's what he's talking about. So the scepter of wickedness, which would oftentimes be ruling, uh, sometimes it was an outside foreign domination. Sometimes it was inside, because there were some kings that were pretty bad. And, and so, so whether it was inside or outside, it really doesn't matter. It says the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. For those of us who find ourselves in Jesus Christ, there's a scepter of wickedness that is ruling in this land. You see it every day. There are people in government, in society, everywhere we go, everybody's trying to cut down Christianity, tell us we can't do this, we can't do that. The scepter of wickedness is ruling all over this world. But I'm telling you something, it will not last forever. That's what the text says. The text says here, for the sector of wickedness shall not rest. It means this, shall not lie heavy. It means this, our inheritance in Jesus Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection will come untaxed by the IRS. We win. The bad guys will not win forever. We look out and we say, oh man, this whole thing's falling apart. Listen to me. It is not falling apart. It is all coming together according to the purpose and the plan of God. Prophecy tells us when we think it's all falling apart, it's not. It's coming together. So the scepter of wickedness, you, you can define that in your life. It, it won't last forever. It won't 
lie heavy. It won't continue forever. The bad guys don't win this thing. We win because of our faith and our security and our firmness and our stability in him. We don't win because we're always secure. We win because he is secure. He cannot be moved. His character is impeccable and it's unchangeable. And so that inheritance that we have in him, the scepter of righteousness that's been given to me as a gift that I checked in at security and I said, hey, my righteousness it's his filthy rags. I want a righteousness that doesn't come from me, that comes from him. So when I place my faith in him, that scepter of righteousness rules in me in the power of the Holy Spirit and rules in you so that we can make a difference in this dark world. This shall not rest on us. Do not be weary in well-doing, but you press on by the grace of God. That's the promise we have. It won't last forever. Look at the text. On the land allotted to the righteous, verse 3, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Do you know in the midst of pressure what the tendency for those of us that are believers to do is we want to take things into our own hands. And if you're not careful, if you don't walk surrendered, and I don't walk surrendered, we can reach out our hands to iniquity and we can try to control the very things that God says you don't need to control. You have no control. I'm in control of your life. But the tendency is in the midst of pressure to sin and to take things into our own hands. That's what can happen. So you have a promise in verse three that the scepter of wickedness, it's not gonna rest. Lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. What the writer is saying here is there's a lesson in restraint in the midst of a chaotic world. We have to learn the lesson of restraint. Our pastor gave this illustration about Peter. When Peter, when Jesus was going to the cross, and uh, it was last week, I believe, where he talked about, and he, uh, Peter's like, man, hey, I'll take care of everybody here. Don't worry about it, Jesus. And, and it's like uh, the soldier was slicing. Go, he was going for the soldier's head, but he missed. Because think about it. The guy had to duck to get his ear. If he was going for his ear, he would have cut his shoulder. But because he wasn't going for his ear, he was going for his head. His, shoulder, his ear got taken off. You remember that? And so Jesus says, listen, Peter, I'm paraphrasing. I'm going to the cross. He reattaches the ear. Now Listen. Jesus, in that moment, learned and knew the lesson of restraint. He was the only cool one in the bunch. But he could have wiped everybody out, including Peter. In that moment, he was God. He could have wiped everybody out. But he, 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 in the midst of that pressure... He yielded to strength and mercy and grace. And although he could have wiped everyone out, he used a lesson of restraint. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to finish what God called me to do. You see, our tendency is to start swiping ears off and heads off when we feel like our hands are leading to iniquity. We start taking things into our own control. Listen to me. God may give you an opportunity to get back at someone for what they did to you in the midst of pressure. See, the world says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But think about this. In that story about Peter and Jesus, Jesus learned how not to use the very power that God gave him. 
And when we get in situations where there's a squeeze, where there's pressure, and we're waiting on God to do what only God can do, our tendency is to slip over here and sin and take somebody's ear off or take control of a situation. Be careful. Someone who hurt you, God may give you an opportunity for revenge. And in that moment, you're going to see how much God is in you. God may give you the very power to say a word and keep somebody from getting a job. He may give you the very word to really destroy somebody's life in a moment. Be careful because you can take revenge, but that's not the way of Jesus nor the way of the cross. Do not let your hands go to iniquity. Do not pay evil for evil. You surrender to me because God may give you the power to really get back at someone, but here's what he'll show you. He'll show you just how much mercy he gave you when he should have taken you out. Mercy, strength, under control. Meekness is not weakness, it's strength under control. So look at verse 3. Be careful, and we're coming home. Lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. I wonder if there's someone here. You're not only rebelling against God, it's called plan rebellion. You have thought about doing something so long, you're at the point where it's already in your mind, and it, all you have to do is flesh it out. Be careful, be careful. Because God will let you go the way that you want to go. You have a choice to make and you can make that choice. But under the strength and the power and the mercy and the grace of God, stable people don't get people back. They realize the mercy that's been shown to them. Mike Tyson bit the ear of Evander Holyfield. Off, almost off. And, And if you look at the interview, this is in 1997, he basically said this, he butted me. And I was going to let him know that you don't do that to me. He said, I want my kids to grow up and be afraid of me. I will get you back. That's not the way of God. Don't do it. Some of you, you're leading your hands or coming out to a nick. Don't do it. Surrender. Get on your knees. Say, God, give me the power and the strength in you to endure this time of the scepter of weakness ruling in this world. Don't let me hurt someone who hurt me because hurt people hurt people. Let me be a channel of your blessing and grace in my life. Verse four. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. You may read this and say, God, God only does good to those who are good and those who are upright in their hearts. Well, the idea is this. The goodness of God is the source and the root of our faith. And so if there's any good in me, if there's any good in me, if there's any good in you, it's only where Jesus has had to crucify our flesh and we've had to let go of controlling something and then his beautiful life has been seen. That's the goodness of God. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good. Listen, I'm only good because of God. And you can never outrun the goodness of God. You can run to the Father. The Father runs after you. You can never outrun the goodness of God. God is so good. It's his character. It's who he is. So the text is saying here, do good to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. The word upright doesn't mean perfection. It means going the right direction. That's what it means. An upright heart is one that's not sinless. It's blameless. You're living a life on purpose. You're moving in the right direction. You see, God can handle someone who's moving in the right direction, not concerned about perfection, but heading in the right direction. That's what he's saying here. You see, there's a crooked path, and there's a straight and narrow path. 
And he says here that those who are upright in their hearts are the ones that are demonstrating the goodness of God in their life. If you go to an airport, you will see a moving sidewalk and you will see a sidewalk. They both move, you, you know. So if you're really in a hurry, you can jump onto the moving sidewalk and you can get to your destination and your direction in the right time, but you'll get there a lot faster. But if you're not in a hurry, you can still step on that moving sidewalk and let it take you and carry you to your destination. Either way, you're making progress. And that's what the writer is saying here. Those who are doing good are heading in the right direction. They're moving and making progress. It's not that they're sinless, it's that, that they understand where their source comes from, where their faith is in, and their trust is in, and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, do good to those who are upright in their hearts. And here's what he says as we come to the end. Verse five. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways. Okay, there's a group of people that are going to reject stability, they're going to reject firmness, they're going to reject security, and they're going to go the crooked way. And you know what many of us do? We worry about those people. We think, well, God, I, I just can't believe they'd be on that crooked path. I just can't believe. Listen to me. God says, I will take care of, I will always exercise justice. You don't have to worry about justice. I'm going to exercise justice in people's lives. I'm a just God. So basically what the writer of the psalm is saying is, God, would you take care of the kind of people that you already said you would take care of and just do good on your promise? And oftentimes in the Bible, God's people are always reminding God of what he's already promised that he would do. Listen, he, we, what the psalmist does is he appeals to a higher court. That's what people do when they don't like the verdict that they get in a court of law. They appeal to a higher court. There is no higher court than God. He is the highest. He is, he is above all. He is supreme. And he is super supreme. And he is more super supreme. He is like the highest. You can't appeal to anybody any higher than God. So the writer says, God, would you just make good on your promise? And you know what God does? He always makes good on his promises. Do good, O oh Lord, to those who are good and upright in their hearts. But those that aren't, take care of them. The idea is it's, a, it's causative here. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways. Those who reject stability, firmness, security, who reject God, who reject Yahweh, who reject the Son, Jesus Christ. God, listen to me, God will let you go your way. He will. He gives you that choice. Oh, don't do that. Please don't do that. I've been through that road. Don't go down the crooked path. Listen, don't stress over people that are going down the crooked path. God will let them go down the crooked path, but God also makes a way of escape from the crooked path to the straight and narrow. And he says, if you'll put your faith and trust in me, I will save you from the crooked way and put you in the straight way and put you on straight street so that you can be with me forever. That's what he's saying. Look at the text. The Lord, verse five, shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Israel, in Psalm 125, 
Israel trust. Verse one, Israel has peace. Look at the text. Peace be upon Israel. The logical conclusion of a person who attaches themselves to God and he in turn by an outrageous accomplishment of his perfect life attaches themselves to a person, there's a union there. So that person is trusting in God and walking and living in a carefree way. And when you trust in God, just like it says, peace be upon Israel, peace be upon you as a believing soul. You can have peace in a world that has gone mad. Think about that. Some of you need peace. Everywhere we go, we see safety and security in places that we never saw it before. If you go to the movies, I'm kind of a moviegoer at times, but it wasn't, but after 2001, remember 9-11, basically the whole world changed. Because you could go into a movie before and all they would tell you is silence your phone because it disturbs people. But after silencing your phone after 9-11, here's what it says. Let's talk safety. If you see anything suspicious, please let our personnel know. So all they had to do was put that on the screen and you've got my attention because... We live in a low anxiety society where everywhere we go, we're thinking, okay, we can watch the movie, we can silence our phones. But it also says this at the trailer in the movie, it says this, if you see anybody with anything suspicious, report it. So you're watching the movie, but you're also shifting your eyes to anybody who leaves and anybody who comes in. Now you're more spiritual than me, I know, that's fine. But that's what I do. If you go to the airport, they tell you, Has anybody, has this luggage been out of your hands? Has anybody touched this other than you? It's about safety. It's about security. If you go to the Department of Homeland Security for the United States, it says, if you see something, say something. On trains, it says the same thing. Everywhere you go, we live in in an anxious society where we're always kind of looking with peripheral vision because of something that could happen. Mass shootings in airports, mass shootings in schools, mass shootings in theaters. We've seen it all. And so all of us live with this anxiety where we're looking and we're wondering and we're thinking, what's going to happen next? Let me tell you something. God, through Jesus Christ, can settle your soul today and give you peace. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen. I'm preaching to myself. I've had some anxiety recently. Just tell me I've struggled. It's okay. I know the one to run to, but I don't always run to him. But God wants to give you a peace today in your situation, in your life, no matter what you're facing. He wants to land in your life. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, forgive you of your waywardness, forgive you of your sin, forgive you of your shortcomings. His mercy is more than you can ever imagine. And he wants to give you his peace as a gift through Jesus Christ. Would you receive that today? Would you receive something that money can't buy and death can't take away? Would you pray with me? Father, we come. I pray for the people 
and myself that have heard your word go forth. I pray that you would land on them in a spiritual way in the midst of their situation and storm and pressure and anxiety and fear and worry. I pray that you would begin to minister grace and peace to them through the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is receive the gift. In this moment, you can just say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I am fearful. I am I'm I'm angry, I'm agitated, I'm irritated. People bother me. I've tried my joy and my love and my peace and it can't get me out of anything. I want to exchange all that I am apart from you for all that I can be in you by your grace. Make me secure in this moment because I'm feeling real insecure and receive the gift of salvation as you repent of your sin. And had peace, not upon Israel. Yes, that was true in the text. But peace upon your believing soul through Jesus Christ. Let him do it. And let go and let God have his way. Because his mercy, his mercy is so much more.